0: listening to episode 45 of the lewis and kyle show with fred stutzman
1: the challenge that that we face and sort of the the goal that we have set as a company is we want to help as many people as possible with this problem of how they allocate their time on their device and how they control their time because we see it as i mean i i see it the reason why i've you know, dedicated the last 10 years of my life to this is I see it as the fundamental challenge, uh, both in human computer action and, you know, with our personal relationship with technology. And it's like completely underserved.
2: Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. If you're new here, thank you. We're grateful that you chose to listen to our podcast. Lewis and I are college students at the University of Alabama, sharing what we learned from conversations with super smart people. We've had entrepreneurs, rappers, programmers, CEOs, and more on our show. And our goal is to uncover the principles that led to their success and then to share the best ideas of what we learn with you, our audience. In this
0: episode, we talked to Fred Stutzman, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom.to, which is a productivity tool with over 1 million users. Freedom lets you create customized schedules for what distracting tools you want to give yourself access to and when, or if you want to, just block the entirety of the internet for predefined periods of time to allow you to complete your best work. There's no around it if you put it in uber-blocked mode and you are forced to get your stuff done, which is why I love Freedom and I've been using it for about three years. Fred started this company uh, when he was studying for his PhD in human computer interaction at the University of UNC Chapel Hill. And that was over a decade ago. And pretty cool about that company is they reached $1 million in revenue within the first 18 months. That's how high the demand was for this product once he created it. In this conversation, we discuss the implications of social media on society, how to use freedom as a productivity tool in your tool belt to regain focus, the long-term goals of the company, and the long-term trends and implications in the field of human and computer interaction. Real quick, uh, before we get started, I had mentioned in one of our previous episodes that if someone left a rating, I would read it and shout them out on the beginning of the podcast. So I wanna thank out Dakota Wade Zyntek Uh, for leaving a review. He says, quote, as a lifelong learner, it was great to hear college kids giving their perspective on topics widely spoken on. I'll definitely be a longtime listener, Dakota, from the Rookie Contracts podcast. Thanks, Dakota. If you want to get your review read, uh, you have to leave one first. So that's kind of how that thing works. But thank you, Dakota, for leaving that review. Anyway, that's enough about Fred. I'm super excited. It was an awesome, awesome conversation. As Kyle said, we talked to super smart people and Fred is super smart. So I'm really excited for y'all to listen to this chat. So with that, I'm just going to cut right to it. Fred, thank you so much for coming on the Loose and Kyle show with us. We're excited to have this opportunity to chat with you.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. I just want to give a little bit of backstory uh, to everyone listening to this right now. So we've had a couple of other UNC alumni tech founders. We had Joe Puccio, who created Corsical, uh, which is a very mm-hmm. popular app that helps students schedule. And we had Adriel Lubarsky, uh, who created a Riveter, which helps people in unemployment. But I just want to start out by saying how cool what we think what you've done is in terms of just the positive force for good it's had on the world in terms of the amount of people and the impact in allowing people to just get more creative output done and lose less of their life to distracting tools. So I just think it's such an amazing context and we're very grateful to be able to learn from you and as the kind of masterminds of this awesome operation.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that very much.
0: Awesome. And maybe uh, we're gonna ask maybe later on for some stories if you know of any of people that like specific creative projects that have come about uh, from this, but- (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, the first question I have for you. Uh, so, I've kind of been on the crusade, you could say, kind of attention resistance, anti social media, or at least very mindful of it for, ever since I read a Cal Newport book my, my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I know, and I, people kind of thought I was crazy and everything else. And so, I've been a fan of yours ever since then. And I've been using your product and recommending it to people. And they kind of thought I was crazy. But then this Thank year, with the social dilemma coming out, uh, now that idea has really come into the mainstream. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious to ask you if there's been any noticeable shifts in kind of your world and your ecosystem since that's come out. And if you could start out by talking a little bit about that.
1: Yes. Um, Yeah, this year has been a pretty big year for, I think, the movement in general. So, um, you know, to kind of step back um, every year, I think for the past five years, we've been saying like, this is the year it's going to break out. This is the year it's going to break out. And we have seen people sort of increasing their awareness uh, you know, of the, the problems of social media, the problems of uh, the time spent on device and just how big of a, you know, a net negative impact that has on people's lives. Um, but this year I think was really the breakout year in the year where you know, the, the problem went from being something that was a little bit of an early adopter issue to a mainstream issue. And a couple of things I think caused that. Um, you know, first and foremost is the pandemic. So you know if you think back to kind of the beginning of the pandemic, we were in this you know state where we didn't know what was going on, we were stuck in our houses, and really sort of the only way to get in touch with the outside world and to learn about what was going on was through our devices. And so people were just spending inordinate amounts of time on their devices. And you know that's something that sort of sets a stage for um, you know continued use through the year. And we've seen in you know any number of studies, device use, uh, time on social media, all of these things have just skyrocketed this year. So people are aware of that, uh, people understand and they, they understand the negative you know, implications of that because they're feeling it. You know, it's like, I don't wanna mm-hmm. be on my device all the time. I'd rather, I'd rather be with my friends. Um, and then uh, yes, with the release of the social dilemma, that's very much a, main, you know, a, a moment where um, things that we thought were sort of universally understood you know, we're, you know, because we've lived this for so many years, uh, have become very much mainstream. And, uh, you know, that movie was at the top of Netflix for, you know, many months and it still is. I mean, every time I turn to Netflix, it's, I'm still being shown ads for it. So, um, it, you know, it's had a great reaction and a lot of people have become aware of products in our space. And, and I mean, I think also the problem. So like, you know, the way we look at it is, um, You know, do people have awareness of the issues and then did they search for solutions? And I think uh, the social dilemma really helped, you know, making people aware and making a mainstream audience aware of the issue.
2: I totally agree. And I I think that public perception has shifted drastically throughout this pandemic. But I'm curious, like for you, you know, you've been looking at this problem for years and years and years, Mm -hmm. and you were as early of an adopter as you could possibly be. So, what trends were you seeing, like really early on, that that led you to be interested in sort of this intersection between technology and digital Mm well-being, and how and why you're interested in in that field? Yeah. So, my
1: background by training is in technology research. Um, I've been, you know, I spent all my career in technology, more or less. And then I uh, went to graduate school and and, uh, did research on social technologies and I was one of the you know one of the early researchers looking at some of you know what we would call the social implications of technology now that's that's um that's a field that's been studied for a long time but I was doing it in the context of like social media so Mm -hmm. we were one of the earliest research groups looking at that and so um when we were looking at people's use of social media, I mean, the things that stuck out were the sheer amount of time that they spent on social media. And this was a, um, you know, really a paradigm change in our relationship with technology. So, you know, previously, yeah, we'd spent plenty of time like working and, you know, in word processing programs and surfing the internet. But when you throw social connectivity and that social layer on top, just the time on device just absolutely uh, you know skyrockets. So we noticed those trends, um, and you know I was studying the behaviors of college students who were the earliest of the earliest adopters, and you know one of the things that kept coming up was yeah this is like affecting my work, and um, I was doing you know I was doing research on social media and I noticed it was affecting my work as well, and um, the the thing that I noticed was you know, if our devices, you know, there isn't going to be sort of a um, delineation between our social lives, our, you know, personal lives and our work lives, all, it's all going to be compacted down to this one device that we carry in our pocket, then um, people are going to need some help managing uh, that relationship. Otherwise, they're going to spend, you know, all their time on their device. And so I, I started addressing the problem in the context of, just, you know, I need to turn off the internet so I can get my work done. And that's where the initial idea for freedom came about. It was, listen, uh, you know, I I can't focus when I've got emails and texts and all these things coming in. So turn off the noise so I can write. And, you know, this is very early, you know, sort of a very early version of what we might call like deep focus now. But but I mean, it was a super simple idea and a super simple thing that just worked. Like, and it still works today. Like if you turn off your internet when you're trying to write something, um, you're gonna just, you're gonna be more effective. It's as simple as that. Like you don't have to pay for our product to do that. You know, just go ahead and try it. Um, and, you know, we saw, we saw you know, something really valuable there. And, you know, I made software that uh, added a commitment device on top of that. And, and you know, as uh, the, the services got more complex, as we got more devices, we saw a need for a um, sort of a more robust product, something that would cover all your devices. And that's kind of how we got to freedom. But, you know, the, the, the road is research, it's personal experience, and it's talking to hundreds of people and doing research studies. And, um, you know, a, 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 um, my wife just kind of guided me to this problem, but, you know, I'm really happy it did.
0: That's an incredible story. And I think I had uh, listened to another podcast you did in preparation for this interview where you told that story in just a little bit more detail. And I'll definitely recommend that show because we don't want to focus too much on the entrepreneurial journey as amazing as it is just because you've covered that and we can reference Mm -hmm. that. But you had said that you had this coffee shop that was kind of ritualized and amazing for you because you could go there and they didn't have the internet because this was 2006, Mm -hmm. 2007, whatever whatever it was. And coffee shops didn't have internet and you'd go there to get work done because of that reason then one day you showed up and they're like, "Hey, sign up for our internet," and you're like, "Sweet, I'm gonna yeah. get on the internet." And then it ruins the uh, the entire environment for you. And so yeah. you kind of is it was it true that that day you basically there in that first experience you had the idea right there and then it's just like, "All right, well, I'm gonna fix it for myself right here now."
1: Yeah, I think I mean I um I. <clears throat> I was like in that coffee shop and I think I went home that night and I was like texting with my friend, Jacob, who was also a PhD student. And, you know, it's just like, got to turn off the internet after this, you know, and how do we do it? And so um, I, I sat down and I wrote freedom that night. And I mean, it was a, literally probably a 30 line script or something like that. It was a really simple piece of software, but yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, I loved this coffee shop. It had great coffee and it was this place where you could really focus and just have kind of no distractions. I always enjoyed working around other people like to have a little bit of a buzz around me but it was kind of interesting when they turned on the internet the buzz went away because like everybody was just on their their laptops you know just fo- you know uh, not talking anymore so that was a negative and then you know, all I had to do was turn on, you know, the internet, and I didn't have the willpower to like not do that. So I said, if if you, we're not going to be able to get away from connectivity, um, then we need some sort of tool that's going to help, and um, that's 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 literally and truly the where the idea for freedom came from.
0: Yeah, that gives me an interesting idea now. Sometimes Kyle and I, we've been playing around with an idea segment for the podcast, just kind of bouncing interesting business ideas with our guests. And I think a new emergence could be the no internet cafe. So instead of yeah. the internet cafe, yeah. you could have the, the no internet cafes, the cycle of bundling and unbundling over and over yeah. and over again.
2: That's a thing out, out in LA, they have um, like no phone, um like coffee shops or like coffee shop hours or something like that where everybody like has to I think it's called brick so you brick your phone (laughs) and everybody goes in and it's just like human interaction yeah Um,
1: brilliant idea
2: (laughs) I agree Um, but so uh, I'm always interested in sort of the um, intersection of people and technology and how they um, are today versus what they grew up with. So like my grandparents, you know, they didn't have the internet, they barely had phones and they are who they are today because um, of what they grew up with. And mm-hmm. for me, like I'm 20 years old and I can remember a time in which smartphones didn't exist. It was flip phones when I was born to like the age of seven. Mm-hmm. And, and then the iPhone came around and, and you know now we all know what, what it's like. But for the kids that were born in 2010, uh, like what do you think they're their, not their brains i know you're not a neuroscientist but like how do you think this is going to change human development for uh, for it to be normal to be um unbelievably addicted to a device mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. uh, don't really understand fully the implications of that addiction
1: yeah that's a great question and there is a lot to unpack there so um so where to begin with it? Um, <clears throat> uh, first and foremost, really interesting observation around kind of the the um, the the relationship between technology and sort of cohorts, age cohorts. And uh, so I've always been interested in that. Um, you know, uh, why why do people of certain age use WhatsApp and people of certain age use email? And um, that's an interesting aspect of social technologies. In that you know, if a social technology can get a critical mass within a cohort, then you know that will be the thing that that cohort carries through through their lives. So, I mean, I have friends who, um, you know, I've always emailed with, and I've done that since I was like 16 years old up to today, right? And that's just because that's just the behavior that we've always carried with us, and that's the critical mass. And so, um, technologies do sort of travel with groups through time, and the expectations do carry with groups through time. And so, the the you know the kids who are coming of age now. Are going to have a sort of vastly different experience of technology and social technology than groups that came before, and it's going to be really hard for us to understand what's normal for them. Um, so, uh, so, and then you know the other the other thing, which I think is a very real and valid issue, is um, these technologies evolve so fast that you know as hard as we as hard as we may try. It's hard to keep up with them and understand the impacts of them. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about sort of next generation interfaces. Uh, you know, my ba- my background is in an area called human computer interaction, and one of the things that is studied within human computer interaction is, you know, literally interfaces. You know, like a touch interface versus a keyboard, um, and so what? What do interfaces look like for kids growing up now? Well, I mean, the, the interface is the voice now. The interface is the room, um, and so like it's hard to take our existing models of like what's right and what's wrong about technology and apply it when the interfaces are changing so fast. So, mm-hmm. so big, big challenges. There are big sets of issues. Um, how do we deal with it? How do we understand it? I think there are some basic principles that, you know, we can look back on human evolution and, and just our, our our learned and lived behavior over time and say, you know, and, and also our values and say, like, yeah, you know, our our values um, have, have always sort of accepted some level of technologi- technologization, te- you know, technology in our lives. Um, and we, we've always also been worried about technology. That's one of the points that mm-hmm. the social dilemma makes. Um, uh, but but there, there's a part, you know, but there's also parts of our lives that, you know, we need to um, promote and value. And that's, you know, in-person social interaction, being out in the world. And so, as we, we can kind of look back to older technologies to understand how we might deal with new technologies. And I think about like uh, the television, because when I was growing up, one of the, you know, the issues was, um, or video games, you know, and I guess it's still a valid issue, the amount of time you spent on the device, right? And so, so like, and, and what does that time displace? So you know, if you're going to spend all your time on the TV, you're gonna you know not have time to read. You're not gonna have time to hang out with friends. You're not gonna have time to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and so I think we can apply those similar types of analyses to new technology, so we can have a healthy balance. Um, where things get more complicated, and I think it's a, a valid set of dis- you know discussions is like, well, video game, video games in a social context can be you know. Uh, a, a real and true form of hanging out with people. So we have to shift to account for the, um, you know, some of the benefits that you get from this technology. I mean, watching a TV, pretty much just one way. You know, you're, you're, I mean, you're getting entertained, but you know, you're not developing skills. Uh, whereas a video game could be quite different. Uh, so I think, like, you know, long way of saying, um, we can look back at the history of technology and can understand you know, how we've, we looked at, we have dealt with the technologies that have come before us. And, and, you know, we're going to respond to tech, to the new technologies that come in a similar way. Um, and we can look at our values, we can look at our, um, you know, sort of cultural expectations, and use that to, you know, understand how we balance these things. Ultimately, it is all about balance, though, we need to have, you know, some aspects of technology, some aspects of in-person interaction, you know, some aspects of being out there in the world. And um, I mean, it, it's it's interesting and challenging because as we're, we're interacting, as we're out there in the world, technology is part of that as well. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe think- my point is it's a brave new world, but uh, I don't yeah. know. There's We change slowly, technology changes fast, and, you know, we're struggling to keep up with it.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's like the there's like an economic um, application to that idea or like overlay with how, you know, people were worried about in the industrial revolution that people weren't going to have jobs anymore. And we're now worried about that with artificial intelligence. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, people are just going to create new jobs, like there's going to be new industries. And that's the way that it's worked throughout time. Yep. And you know this new way of developing uh, as people within a society constrained by these different devices will just be different, and there's going to be new new ways of being. Um, so I yep. think that's a really interesting um, perspective.
1: Well, and also I think the pandemic kind of gives us a um, an example of you know let's take things to the extreme where we can't actually be together, and you know it's it's almost all going to be through. Uh, you know, a screen or uh, a phone. And, uh, you know, people are not super into that. I mean, you know, they want to get together. So, you know, even if we look at like the most extreme examples, uh, there's just a natural pull towards, I guess, some of these more traditional ways of interaction.
0: Yeah, I think one thing that's really interesting about that that you just reminded me of is this idea that reality has just a surprising amount of detail where every time because I love freedom and it's helped me and I'll create a rhythm of that blocks off the distracting resources I don't want accessible to me and it works really really well for six weeks or so and then I just have a new interaction that comes to my life and the system I designed no longer matches my environment Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I find myself blocked out of things at a time which is inconvenient for me and then I have to put a lot of like cognitive energy into redesigning a new system that's going to work for that life cycle and I think That on the scale of one individual with a tool like Freedom, which is completely robust enough to handle anything I can have, is just magnified at the scale of all of society where uh, it's just Mm -hmm. so difficult to try to make artificially constrained systems to kind of slow or remedy or have a watchful eye over the ways new technologies are brought about while also like allowing the benefits of them to to really blossom. And I think another point on kind of what you're saying earlier about just how the the rate of adaptation of new technologies it's just in 2020 there are so many humongous macro trends all converging at once which just makes it completely difficult to use any one form of analysis to cover like any of them at once Uh, Mm -hmm. because so we Mm -hmm. have the actual rate of change of technology and the pace of advancement at the the fastest ever and we also have the problem of like instantaneous instant distribution so Mm -hmm. Cal Newport, just to come back to him, gives this example of the Amish where if there's a new technology introduced to society, they don't just say no, they just have a beta testing group determine if it matches their values and then they choose to adopt it with all of society if they Mm -hmm. decide that it, it is coherent with the way they want their lives to be. The problem that I think that we have and that freedom seeks to address is that as a society, we don't do that. So Facebook comes about and because of the Uh, the way the internet works, it can go from zero users to a billion users in like the span of a couple of years, instead of actually actually being constrained to let a small, because if we let just a small group of society test Facebook over a 10 year period, that would have still run its course and realized like similar negative implications that may have prevented it from reaching the point it's at now, or it's harder to untangle the mess. So I think Mm -hmm. that's all kind of an interesting way of uh, thinking about the problem.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This 2020 has put a lot of these issues on steroids in a, you know, just in a, in a big way. And so, and I think we're going to be dealing with the fallout from it for quite some time. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, not just like the negative implications. It's like, uh, what is truth? What is, you know, I mean, there's, there's just so many things that are coming out of this year that, we're gonna be struggling and grappling with. And we will need to make some of those hard decisions about, you know, we will need to decide. Um, so yeah, really interesting point.
0: Yeah, then the paradox there is that the people like yourselves uh, might be less like yourselves, that would probably be the natural leaders to kind of charge this movement are the ones who happen to be more in tune with the fact that a meaningful in-person life is more rewarding than a like Mm -hmm. sprawled out disconnected digital world. And that makes you almost less likely to self-organize a global movement. I don't know if that is true or not, (laughs) but I just feel like y'all just have your lives. Like the people that have made this realization that time without the internet leads to a better life are less likely to just spend all their free time through the internet, collaborating with other minds that are also have really (laughs) fulfilling in-person lives uh, to charge that global movement. And that's kind of an incentives problem.
1: It's it's funny though. I mean, you know, for, um, for all the, I mean, our our business is our business really is about uh, it's it's not about keeping you off the internet it's about helping you make choices make the right choices around how you spend your time and um, and so uh, personally reflecting on that I mean I spend an inordinate amount of time on the internet and it kind of like you know but I I do things that like give me control and I, I think about like this story that like uh, Stuart Butterfield told, he's the CEO of Slack. Uh, one of the things I do, and it's just been, you know, a, a game changer for me is I basically, I turn off all the notifications on my phone. Right. And so the, somebody said to like Stuart Butterfield, they're like, well, h- how do you know when you're going to miss something in Slack? And he's like, well, I check it enough, you know? And I mean, when you run a business that just becomes second nature. So, you know, I'm, I, I check in often enough that I'm not gonna miss things, but I also don't need to get a notification every time something happens. So it's that little tweak. Like, I mean, I, I spend way too much time online. I am not a, I'm, I'm, I'm the wrong person for like the face of the you know, offline movement, but having control and, ha, you know, and at the end of the day, knowing like I, I made these choices and technology didn't make these choices for me. Just a, just a huge difference, huge difference.
2: Yeah, totally. And like for me, <clears throat> I have, I, I'm not on Lewis's level in terms of my ability to stay undistracted from the internet, but um, like I had the notifications for news turned on uh, on my phone for a long time. And yeah. I found myself like r- hearing the sound or like knowing the sound Uh, subconsciously. And when I would hear it, I would just feel sick because Mm -hmm. I knew that it was going to be some headline that I didn't want to see that it it would ruin that moment for me. And, and removing that from my life has produced, you know, extreme benefits because I don't, I don't have that that level of anxiety that I used to have when hearing that sound when really whatever it might tell me is, it's not going to change my life now. It's not going to change my life in the next 10 minutes. And I think that's a powerful realization that, you know, people like us have had for a long time that someone hearing it for the first time, it's really something that is powerful and like, um, freeing and it Mm-mm. provides, you know, freedom. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: Um, but <clears throat> so my next question is, is sort of, again, about social media. Um, but because you were looking at it on, um, a microscopic level the entire time throughout the last I guess 14 years. I was listening to your Google talk from 2006 a little bit yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um, well. You were watching it at the moment where um, these platforms changed from cultivating networks to cultivating uh, attention where yeah. like Cal Newport says and like the social dilemma talks about when they brought in these um, you know, slot machine engineers basically to redesign these um, platforms to optimize for the amount of time you spend on them. W- what effects did you see that have in the moment? Because it's easy for us to like, look back on the last five years and be like, wow, that had a outsized impact. But mm-hmm. if you're looking I- I'm curious as to uh, what your thoughts are about that and like what it was like looking at it throughout that time period.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going back to, you um, <clears throat> social when i first started studying social media and sort of the the earliest you know what we would consider like social network sites social media because there's been social i mean email is social media there's been social media sort of going back When i first started looking at, at those sites i mean they were purely about identity so it was about creating your identity you know creating a virtual representation of yourself and um that was, I mean, one of the reasons why that really stuck with college students is that, you know, social media didn't want to call it this, but it was dating profiles. You know, as you're meeting all these people, uh, you connect offline, and then you get to know more about this person through this representation of identity. And of course, what really changed the dynamic and put social media growth on sort of the rocket ship path was the introduction of news feeds. And you know, news feeds in the beginning were purely about like changes. So you updated your profile, you like something, you um, uh, updated pictures, things like that. Uh, still very identity driven, but that was enough to keep people coming back and checking. And so um, that you know that change is still what we see today and is kind of the lifeblood of social media, the news stream, the, the news feed, um, you know, in, in one way or another is a critical component. So, like, you know, how did that change things and how did that change incentives? Well, you know, change incentives in a couple of ways. One is that um, it created incentives for the social media providers to s- generate content for the feed. So they realized that, like, there's only so much profile changing that you're going to do. Um, and especially once you're kind of an established user of social media, like, yeah, when you're like a new, a new user, you're changing your profile a lot. But once you've been on Facebook for a couple of years, not so much. So they needed to generate uh, action. And that action is the things that would then you know, go into the newsfeed. And they did that through any number of ways, through things like games, through, uh, you know, sort of catching derivative actions that you were doing. And I think, you know, we see that pattern today in almost all of the technological interruptions, you know, like, so what is, what is like a notification screen on your phone? It's a newsfeed, right? And so, and, and how do they keep you coming back to the newsfeed? How do they keep you coming back to the app is by generating, you know uh, derivative notifications or generating mach- machine generating notifications and that pattern has proven to be kind of a world winner um you know is it good or bad i don't know i mean there's when it comes to attention th- that's really the, the challenge um social media i think you know in the early uh, early stages sort of had its time and place and i think when you at- when you talk to people you know, pre-news feed social media, you know, it was, the way they described it was kind of like going down like a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Like I, I'll waste time on social media cause I'm clicking around and I'm just looking at people's profiles. But eventually I get to the end of it, you know, eventually, uh, you know, all Wikipedia articles, you know uh, end up with World War II and, you know, like all, you eventually hit the end. Um, and people, you know, they, they, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of drawing back to kind like, I don't remember people were annoyed by that, but it wasn't like, Hey, this thing has taken over my life. But you know, the shift towards newsfeed, the shift towards mobile, the shift towards uh, algorithmically generated notifications really changed things and took away people's, you know, agency in terms of being able to choose the parameters with which they had the relationship with social technology. And um, You know, that I think is is still what we grapple with today. And, you know, going back to our our point of just a minute ago, things like turning off notifications, um, you know, are one of the strongest ways you can fight back against that Uh, because, you know, ultimately you've got to choose if it's going to be on your terms or it's going to be on their terms. And if it's on their terms, uh, just the nature of social media is, you know, it's it's all about as much attention as possible, and so you know when you make those choices about do I enable the notifications or do I not, um, you know, you're you're essentially saying, am I going to let them control my life, or am I going to control my life? And um, you know, um, you know, it's, it's 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 a problem that people struggle with.
0: Yeah, so I have two questions for you, uh, kind of along those lines, and maybe they don't really go together. So I'm just uh, announcing mm-hmm. that I have two interesting unrelated questions, both of which I've, I'm sure. curious about. Uh, the first one is one about, so clearly, you know, we're all in agreement that there's a lot of negative implications of social media. Uh, but I've like, obviously a lot of us still use social media, we're connected on LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. my question for you is two parts. So it's a two part of the first question. Uh, do you feel as if you get more value out of social media than they get from you? Uh, and if so, what rules and parameters, besides turning off notifications, have you set in place to allow yourself to still be in that position?
1: Okay, so um, so this I, this is a question that I think is, and uh, I'm not trying to just go purely back to my research, but my um, my research was on uh, using social media in what we would call the life course. So you know, through what that means is. As you go through life, you've got various information needs. You move to a new town. You uh, go to a new school. You um, have a kid. Um, all of these things are what we would, you know, call major life events. And when you have a major life event, um, you have new, you know, novel information needs that are often um, supported by a network, right? So. Um, Imagine the case of somebody having a kid. Uh, So, you know, you can Google, like, how do I take care of a baby? But the way that we've always done this is we've talked to the people who have had babies before. You know, we've also read, you know, Dr. Spock, the book and things like that. But that's very much a networked information need. And so when you're going through that, uh, you know, through the life course, a social network can be absolutely a very powerful component. Um, you're getting information from trusted people, you're you know, getting the ego and, and sort of uh, social boost from being able to share pictures, all these are good things. Uh, and so um, that's just a case in point, but as you go through the life course, um, uh, you have these discrete and changing information needs and a social network can absolutely support them. And it's gonna be different social networks for different information needs. Uh, you know, um, you know, Facebook may suit you quite well in the, you know, case where you have the new baby, uh, when you're going through a career change, LinkedIn might be the thing that you need. Um, when you're trying to, uh, you know, understand design projects, you know, design networks can be useful. So, um. I I think the key is, and we see people naturally sort of migrate through these and look like, you you might even look at like, where do I spend my attention? And how has my attention changed over time? That may very strongly correlate with your information needs. Another example is, um, you know, just finding a partner, dating. You know, like, I mean, dating sites are social networks, whether, you know, we call them that or not. Um, And so, you know, why, why are you, why do you spend so much time on Dating apps, dating sites—it's an information need, right? Like, and like when you're when you're uh, searching for a partner, you know, to use like very clinical terms, I mean, a lot of that is an information search. Well, I like this person, you know. It's obviously more than just attraction, and that's what drives so much activity on these sites. So, um, so, uh, so, so, yeah. To the point, um, as as you go through life it's absolutely essential. And I think uh, these sites play a very valuable role as you have these information needs. And you know, the better you are at being able to uh, turn to sites, apps, uh, any information needs, and being able to evaluate what's good information and what isn't, like that's gonna help you. That's gonna help you through your career. Like the, the better you are at LinkedIn as you're in early stages of careers, um, you know, that that's going to help you, um, you know, at my stage of the career, the better I am at LinkedIn to be able to, you know, assess hires, you know, that's a skill that I need to develop. Um, and but I mean, it's still very much answered by a, um, a social site. So, um, so, yeah, I think like, you know, maybe a framework of thinking about it is it's like, what am I getting from this? And, and being sort of honest with yourself about it. Um, I don't, have, I, I, I'm i not a I'm not a Luddite, I'm not anti-social media, you know, it, it mm-hmm. all goes back to putting you in control. And so, you know, you can come to me and say, listen, you know, at this phase of my life, like it's really important for me to, you know, spend four hours a day on social media. And like, if you can make that, you know, case to yourself, um, then that's absolutely fine. Um, you know, it then, you know, but it, it really is like, being mindful about how you spend your time. Um, uh, and, and that's all a good thing. And like, that's going to change, uh, through times. And you, you know, you might look at like, once you've answered answered an information need you realize, Oh, okay. My time on that site, like I spend less time there, you know, and that's natural. That's, that's probably also the trigger for the site to like start sending you like 10 notifications a day and things like that to get you back. But yeah, it, it, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of a long, long-winded answer, but yeah, I think absolutely these things change, and I think uh, it's the, normal.
0: I think the big idea there is that the the yes by default way is is wrong. Uh, but if you have a yes for a clear reason, then there's a mm-hmm. clear reason. Uh, sure, absolutely. So the next question I have for you, and we might be pressing up on time after this question, is about the future of freedom in the company and the goals. Because in the the circles that Kyle and I run in, in terms of the internet and productivity bloggers. Uh, it's like every productivity blogger that has a recommended tools recommends freedom and every book that makes a mention of social media recommends freedom so you have a really strong kind of market penetration and awareness within the group of people that are seeing the world in this way and have kind of accepted the series of beliefs that we've kind of explained throughout the course of this interview people have gone through the process of realizing notifications are bad and they've gotten to the point of self awareness that this isn't uh, social, like not even social media. I know we've kind of focused on that, but sports websites and betting websites and news information sure. and all of these different sources that tend to distract people away from doing concentrated work when needed. Uh, what's your plan or the goals of the company long-term for kind of moving beyond the the group of people like us who've <laughs> independently made these realizations and into mm-hmm. kind of the masses of people who are yet to see the world in this way. Uh, mm-hmm. So wh- wh- where, where are you all at with that kind of strategically and ambitions wise?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, So freedom, you know, from the beginning uh, to, I mean, we're changing a little bit now, but it's always been for kind of the believers. Right. And so I'm a productivity hacker and um, you know, have always sort of been deep into productivity systems and uh, uh, tools. And I've, I've tried to build freedom to be uh, something that, you know, I'm proud of and can use, and and you know, does appeal to, you know, exactly who you're describing, right? And, um, you know, what does that what does that mean? That means that Freedom is a tool that is powerful. It's easy to use, and it also has like really good values. So, you know, we don't track you. We don't sell you know, collect your information. We don't sell your information. We you know, we sort of live by this code of like. We also charge for our product, which you know a lot of people don't do. But we charge for it for the reason we're providing you a service. We're going to be there for you, um, and you know that is a very good fit for the believer, right? You know, somebody who who has made that choice that I need to invest in my work, and um, and I'm going to get an ROI from the tools that I use. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people out there um, who do that. Uh, but you're right. Like the the challenge that that we face and sort of the the goal that we have set as a company is we want to help as many people as possible with this problem of how they allocate their time on their device and how they control their time. Cause we see it as, I mean, I, I see it. And the reason why I've, you know, dedicated the last 10 years of my life to this is I see it as the fundamental challenge, uh, both in human computer action and, you know, with our personal relationship with technology. And it's like, completely underserved Um, and, you know, that Apple and Google pay it lip service, um, but it is is so underserved because there's all these competing interests. So to your question, um, there are so many people out there that are tipping their, you know, dipping their toe in and trying to understand, you know, steps that they can take. And they, you know, some of those people will eventually sort of say, well, I need to, Install something like Freedom and uh, and 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 use it, but there's a lot of people who um, <clears throat> maybe just simple uh, education and feedback and guidance could help them, uh, you know, get started on that course. And so our goal is to serve that population because every day, you know, in the app stores, we get thousands of downloads of people who. Um, you know, want to begin that journey. So we are working towards supporting them on that journey uh, and doing that in holistic ways. It's, you know, you know, we've built a tool, we've built this kind of hammer that works really well for people who know how to use the hammer, um, but we want to support a much wider audience. And so that's where we've been investing. And that's what we see kind of the future of our tool. Um, and because we've built this business, we can, um, We can invest in these things and and sort of build out this, um, uh, you know, kind of next generation of the product in a way that, you know, we're going to be able to serve those toe dippers uh, largely for free, you know, and realize that like, uh, you know, we may bring them along the path towards uh, using uh, freedom in a more powerful fashion, and they they may want to pay for that. But we want to serve them, we want to help them because a big part of the mission of the company is having that impact on the world. And like, you know, we do that, you know, through the, through the product, but we also, you know, we have like all these Chrome extensions that we've made that um, help with that. We give those away for free. Um, And, and so, so yeah, like we don't have like a, a radical new AI inspired way of changing people's behavior that, you know, involves tracking them and doing all that kind of stuff. It's really about, understanding people on their journey, understanding their needs and helping them out and doing it in a way that's user friendly and is respectful of them. And so that's kind of what we're building. And, you know, that's a big blue ocean as far as we're concerned. And, um, you know, we we uh, we want to continue to be the leader in this space. And we're going to learn a lot in that process, but we're really excited to do it.
2: Well, I think that's beautiful. And I think that it is creating a win-win situation for everybody involved and that uh, just the the free version of your product, you know, if someone only uses it once, it, it helps them to better understand that, that it is a problem and that it is something for them to work on. Um, but we have one last question for you. Uh, and we're running out of time here, but um, I just want to know, like, there's a lot of information we we all see we all read like a hundred thousand words a day or something insane like that on our on our screens and um you know through the internet but how do you filter information for truth how do you filter like the vast amount of of news and and all of these things um Mm. for the truth
1: man talk about the problem of our day i mean i i was i was just talking with um Gary Marchini about this the other day. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is, you know, uh, I, I, I think the freedom is sort of solving the fundamental problem of our times, but this may also be the fundamental problem of our times and that, um, you know, what are our heur- heuristics for truth? And I mean, personally, I mean, my answer is not going to be that uh, exciting. I have been a, you know, my first job was a uh, newspaper delivery boy. Uh, So like that was a job way back in the day where I would literally like deliver newspapers to people's houses at five in the morning. And I did that when I was like 10 years old through when I was 17. So I have always believed in, uh, you know, the press and a, a press that you pay for and, and delivers truth. Um, And so my information sources are things that I pay for, and I have sort of a curated list. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've seen the quality and I've seen the problems and the sort of the big problems of information quality on social media, where it's all free, and it's, uh, you know, fighting for for clicks. Now, you didn't ask this, but do I know how to solve that problem? No, I don't. Um, I do think that we are seeing, uh, we, we've we seen things sort of go radically towards uh, elimination of a paid press. And I think things are coming uh, back. And I think that's just, there's opportunity, like, you know, the the private equity companies that sort of bought up all the newspapers and ran them into the ground, like, it just, you know, like, that creates opportunities for uh, sources of truth to, um, you know, emerge, and so we're going to see some of that now. But it's still very much hierarchical, and it's still very much, you know, uh, you know we're we're not where we need to be. Um, but uh, you know, it, it really is kind of, as we've seen this year, a very fundamental problem. So the more uh, you can support uh, paid. Um, uh, you know, producers, uh, the better, um, you know, because that's th- the incentive then is for them to give you quality information, not just link clicks and, you know, whether, you know, that's a Substack of somebody you really trust, uh, or the, the, the New York times or Washington post, you know, think about your media budget, because when you are not paying for it, you know, you're paying for it in different ways. Um, so yeah, it's a tough question.
0: I think that's a really uh, smart way of handling it. I actually had a similar discussion with my parents last night about how we kind of collectively, none of us trust any of the major free media sources. I think yeah. the answer is you follow a unrelated sample of individuals or independent studios that don't have vested interests and don't have a kind of conglomerate behind the scenes. And that's kind of the best you can do. Uh, yeah. But this has been an absolutely incredible conversation. We're extremely grateful for you to sharing your time with us. Sure. And uh, we'll definitely send people to Freedom and put some links. I think I signed up a few months back as an affiliate. So maybe we'll drop that in, uh, awesome. yeah, <laughs> in the description. Uh, but thank you Love so that. much. This has been
2: awesome.
1: Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation, guys.
2: Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Fred. Uh, Lewis and I thought that went really well. It was super interesting to talk to him. Uh, talk to somebody that has been studying human-computer interaction for so long. Um, in a time period where it's sort of all converging together and, and becoming a mainstream topic to talk about um, and that reminds me like one of my takeaways is just that you know a lot of the questions that we asked him and that we were thinking about throughout this interview you know there, there's no real answer to them I mean the answers will come with time and in the future but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be talking about it um, and and be considering what it might be doing to us and 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 what the future looks like. And um, it was really cool to talk to him about stuff that he's so knowledgeable about. And then <clears throat> the second one is like, oftentimes the people that create the best products and the best work on a subject are the ones that struggle the most with it. And, you know, he was open about how he's not the, the, the highest, most productive person in the world um, and is bad at using the internet sometimes. He gets distracted. But because of that, He's created this product that works so well that enables people, um, to, to do their best work undistracted. Um, and you know, I think what I learned through that is that freedom as a product is mostly about giving people the option of control. It's like, you know, from the outside, I was kind of, um, against freedom at first or using it because... It feels like I've got this outside thing controlling what I'm doing, but really it's just giving you the tools to control your time and how you spend um, your time on the internet versus like just being sucked into a, a supercomputer controlling where you go and what you do. Instead, you control it. And, and that flip for me was, was really interesting
0: yeah thank you for sharing this kyle i really agree with your second one and that's what evan carmichael said in the previous episode that more often than not your pain becomes your purpose and fred is a great example of that and that's just a great way to think about business and entrepreneurship and what problems our listeners that are interested in starting businesses might want to look at solving are the things they struggle with uh second point here or really my first one because the first one was talking about yours is it's always cost benefit it's never all or nothing so i asked fred uh, kind of the, not the gotcha question, but the do you get more value out of social media than it gets from you? And he gave a very nuanced answer that well, it depends on what information you need and what point in life you're in and what specific networks serve that purpose and what your habits are for using that network. Uh, and it really is not as black and white as we want to paint it. Instagram's not bad. Instagram's not good. LinkedIn's not bad. LinkedIn's not good. They're bad if you have no reason to be on them and they're sucking your time. But if they have information that you need, it's a fantastically valuable resource for getting that information. The second point is about the importance of being intentional and pausing and reflecting to actually be aware of the types of analysis you need to be doing uh, to kind of feed into my previous point. Third one is that turning off the internet is truly a magical button. Uh, You can have all the willpower you want in the world, or you can just make it where it's not even an option to get distracted. If you turn off the internet on every device in your house, good luck to you. You're not going to be able to access any of your distracting tools, and that's just awesome. Uh, so that's kind of my three takeaways from this conversation with Fred. Again, so exciting to have him on. Love this product, been using it for three years. Such a treat to be able to pick his brain. Signing off for this episode, The Call to Action. If you like this episode, scroll through the feed. We've put out almost 50 episodes. I'm sure there's one you haven't listened to yet. Check it out. And if you want to support us,
1: leave a five-star rating or a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in a week with the next episode.